Several years ago, I was attending a wedding in Pembine, Wisconsin. I was seated about halfway back. I wasn't officiating this wedding, but just attending, I think, with friends of my kids or something like that. But it was a very hot summer day. The kids were all dressed up and in suits and, you know, the, the stiff collars and the tight shoes and the long dresses for the bridesmaids. And they were standing up there in the front on the platform. The church was full. And you could tell that, like a lot of weddings, it's going longer than it probably should. And people were getting hot. And so I typically look for several things and am prepared for several things, like people passing out. And I, as I was watching, I see this one gal start to wave a little bit. She's just kind of moving back and forth. And looks like she's fighting something. And then next thing you know, her eyes roll back at her head, and boom, she is on the floor. The church is full. Everyone's looking at the front, and she hits the floor. She is out cold. The funny thing was, no one even looked. Not one of the other bridesmaids, not one of the groomsmen, no one officiating, the bride, the groom, no one even looked. And I I just sat there in disbelief. And then the bridesmaids slowly took their dresses and tried to get in front of her and cover her up. I'm thinking, they're going to try to pretend like that never happened. But everybody here knows that did happen. And you know, I think that when things go wrong in our lives, we, we sometimes try to think, if I, if I just pretend like that didn't happen, maybe it'll go away. Or we may react in some way like, drag her out of here, get her out the door. Finally, the girl's mother ran up, and some others, after they saw that, went up to help the poor girl. But I think that this is the way often churches respond to when someone stumbles, someone sins, someone has a difficult time. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his beloved friends, he calls them his dear children in the city of Corinth. This is in Greece, it's first century. There are many differences contextually, but yet the applications to me fit right into where we're living today because human nature has not changed and God has not changed. But the Apostle Paul knows that this church is really struggling with some problems. And he wants to come and help them work through these problems. And so this, is, this passage we're going to look at this morning, to me, is, is a right biblical response to when someone else struggles or stumbles. And it shows the heart and the spirit of the Apostle Paul. The answer is not to ignore the problem like it doesn't exist, and the answer is not to start screaming and dragging someone out of the building. It is a right, biblical, heartfelt response. So this is what he writes. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 14 to 21. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, for you have many countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. 
He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? You can feel the tension in this letter. Because the issues are pretty severe. In fact, when we get into chapter 5 and go into chapter 6 and 7, when you read that, you're going to say, wow, this church has some really tough challenges. And so he's setting things up, and that is why we've titled this message, The Spirit of Correction, because I think our heart attitude and our approach is critical in handling difficulties. So this morning, as we work through this passage, I'd like to do so by looking at Paul's context, in other words, who he's writing to and what's happening, the coming, in other words, the trip that he's planning to visit them, and then finally the challenge that he leaves with them to be thinking about before he comes. So let's look at the context. He is writing them a letter, and this is typically the way Paul would communicate. He had he had begun this church by visiting Corinth, the city of Corinth. It's in the middle of the Isthmus, a part of Greece that spans two uh, vast bodies of water, a very cosmopolitan area, a lot of idol worship and a lot of prostitution, a lot of things going on there that made it a difficult place to live. But it was very prosperous. People made a lot of money. A lot was going on there. And when he visited, several people came to Christ in salvation, and they formed a church. And so he spent some time there, as he did every other place, teaching them the basics of Christianity, walking them through these things. And then typically, he would circle back around on another trip and reinforce those things. In between times, he'd write letters. And this is what we find in the New Testament. Many of, of what uh, what we have as scriptures in the New Testament are letters written by the Apostle Paul. This letter in particular is addressing the conflict and the division and the party spirit that has overtaken this church, and it is about to completely destroy it. And so they've reverted back to worldly wisdom. If we were to say, what are the real issues at hand? There are many issues, but I think at the, at the very core of the issues is that they, they have gone back to the wisdom of the age rather than depending on the wisdom of God. Now, as we said before, that wisdom is wisdom. Truth is truth. And so to have the wisdom of the world is not that you're not having wisdom. It's just that God is not the center of it, and he is not a part of it, and it does not reach from eternity to eternity. And so it is very temporal, and it, it does not have a lasting value. So they had slipped back to that. Philosophy and wisdom were, were key things back in Greece at that time. And so it's easy to want to be popular, to, be, to sound intellectual. And so they were drifting from a God-centered wisdom that was focused on Christ and his cross and moving back to a worldly type of wisdom. And then the leaders of this group had gone beyond what was written. Last week we talked about this, that 
Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, don't add to the word, don't take away from the word. And he was now admonish, admonishing these leaders, don't go beyond what is written. Don't go outside the lines of what the scriptures have given. There was also a root of pride, a lack of humility, and party spirit. And then in chapter 5, we're going to get into all kinds of sins that were going on with Christians, with God's people, and nothing was being dealt with. And so it was continuing to tear it apart. And I think when I look at churches today, we're in a most unhealthy state. And I don't, I'm not speaking particularly of our church or any particular church, but churches at large. And what I watch is that when it comes to confronting problems, we're really not very good at it. Either we want to ignore it, pretend like it's not happening, and hoping it'll go away, and so we just do nothing, or we overreact and we condemn a person, or like he is saying here, we shame them, and we, and we say, we're just going to pretend like you don't exist. Get out of here because you're, you're not fitting in anymore. And either way, destruction's going to happen. There is a right biblical process to deal with problems and with conflict and with sin. And my prayer is that our church would be able to do that in an incredibly healthy way. I, I was telling Paul uh, earlier that I don't think there's a day goes by that I'm not talking to some pastor or some person who's in the middle of this and wanting to know how do we proceed. Well, fortunately, we do have instruction and guidance, and this would apply to the church. It applies to you personally. It applies to your family. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to work through this. But this morning, particularly, seeing Paul's heart, the attitude that we have in going into this. So I think back to early on, one of the most vivid lessons that I learned in this was probably five years, uh, eight years into the ministry, I had a very close friend who was also a pastor. We would hunt together, we'd fish together, we would, would do some things with our kids, our families, and we were very close friends. He was on the other side of town, and we would meet together regularly and pray. He, he, was, he loved God. He was a like-minded brother. We, we spent a lot of time together. Well, one day, I got a phone call from someone in his church, and apparently my friend had left town with another woman living in, across the country and left his family, left his church, left his kids. And it, it so devastated me. I, I thought, I, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see anything. Of course, these things don't happen overnight. There's usually a slow erosion or a drift in someone's life. But I, I never saw it. And I'm thinking, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm thinking of his wife, of his kids, of his church. And, and then I started thinking, I wonder what's going through his mind right now. And it took me about two days and then I finally, I said to Diane, I said, I've got to go. And go, she said, well, go where? I, and I said, I don't even know where he is. And, and, but I, I slowly would find these things out. And so I took a trip, got on a plane, flew across the country, rented a car, <clears throat> and I went on a search to find him. And I remember going up and I found the location, the place went up and knocking at the door. And a woman came to the door and you, you can imagine she's not happy to see me. I told her who I was, 
And she said, well, he'll be back in a little bit. So I went down into the courtyard of the apartment complex, and I sat there and waited. And about an hour later, he comes walking around the corner, and he sees me. And he just, his head sunk like this. And as he came up to me, tears were coming down his face. And he put his arms around me, and he said, I knew you'd come. And I thought at that time, what if I didn't? What if I just said, I can't believe he did that? The truth is, anyone could do that. I could do that. You could do that. You know, there's not one sin in all the world that you couldn't do under certain set of circumstances, a certain set of uh, temptations. You know, we say, except for the grace of God, there go I. Well, that's not just a little phrase. It is true that we're all made of the same stuff. We get tempted. We get on that path. And it wasn't immediate, but over time, we went out to have lunch that day. And, and, and you know, he shared with me that he had received several phone calls from his friends who just ripped him to shreds. And I thought, you know, the last thing right now he needs is to be ripped to shreds because he feels horrible about himself. He said, you know what, I, I've blown it. I've just ruined my life. I've ruined everything about my life. I can't even go back. And I, and I said to him, there is a path back. There is a path back. And we'll walk with you on that path. And I thank the Lord that over time it doesn't always work out this way, that he's back restored with his wife, restored with his family. And uh, didn't continue pastoring that church, but began walking with the Lord again. And I thought, you know, my natural tendency would be to, to just let it go. Or, or to point my finger and judge like other friends did and, and just say, how could you do such a thing? Because don't we all say that? Don't we read things in the paper and we hear about what the, certain people do and we say, how could anyone do that? Well, just remember, you could do that. And the Apostle Paul is acting in a way of rescuing these Christians. These are believers. They do love God. And, and yet they're, they're caught in a trap, and they're not able to be able to work out of it. So that's Paul's context. He's, he's dealing with a lot of issues in the city, and he needs to come for a visit. But let's, let's talk about that visit. Paul's coming is our, our second point. He says in verse 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Notice how he calls them my dear children. That's it's an incredible statement. In other words, there's ownership, it's family, this is personal, it is relational. And that's what Christianity is. It's relationship. And when someone in the family is hurting, we stop, we pause, and we're there to help. When he says this, he speaks to them as their father. And it is true that he shared initially the good news of eternal life, the gospel, and they came to Christ in salvation, and they knew him as personal Savior, uh, knew, knew Christ as personal Savior through him. So he became their spiritual father who nurtured them along the way. And they have worth. They have worth because these are children of God. Did you know this? We have worth because we're made in God's image. We have worth because he's loved us. We have worth because he's called us. And that's true with any person. 
but there's a special value and worth of those of us who have trusted him as Savior as we've become part of God's family, and we've also become related to one another. And he's acknowledging all of those things. And he says, I don't want to shame you. In other words, Paul's attack, and he can get pretty sharp. I noticed this about the Apostle Paul. He can get a little sarcastic, and he can get sharp. But his attack is never the person or their character. He'll attack the problem. There's a difference. And he doesn't try to shame them or embarrass them. Last week we talked about how he's not naming their names, but he's giving examples and he's really going after the problems. So he says, my goal is not shame, but he says to warn you. And the word warn could probably be better translated exhort. And we don't use that word a lot, exhort, but or to admonish or to counsel. In fact, the, the original word is nutheo. We get nuthetic counseling. Some of you have heard of nuthetic counseling, which is the counseling from the scriptures that is encouraging, helping, building up, coming alongside. This is what he wants to do. And I think of a, a, a great text in Galatians, another letter uh, that he wrote dealing with problems. And he, he says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, listen to this, because it's just so powerful in expressing the attitude, the heart of being able to correct. He says here in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing or fault or a sin, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who are walking with the Lord, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So I'm to help carry your load. You're going to help carry my load. And in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law? It's love. You sum up all the law Jesus said. We, we covered this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You sum everything up in the Old Testament. is to love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I fulfill the law of love by looking to myself, I consider myself, I could be tempted as well, but I do this to someone who's overtaken in a fault to restore them and to help them. Now, I'd like to move on to a picture, and Paul uses pictures and illustrations throughout his writings, and I, and I, and I love this part of it because to me it was insightful. I've not seen some of these things before um, this last time of studying this, but in verse 15, he says, for you, you may have countless instructors in Christ. Some of the translations will say you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he's saying you have a lot of people giving you advice, but you have one father, someone who helped you from the very beginning, and that's, and that's Paul. And then let's skip down to verse 21 because this is all fitting into this picture. He says, what do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Now, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but obviously saying, I don't want you to come to me with a rod. But think about what he's saying. He's referred to them as dear children. Later on, 
he'll refer to Timothy as his dear child or dear son. He's, he's very special to him. But if you look back at this word, and you can circle where it says child or dear children, um, but circle the word instructors. You have many countless instructors. <clears throat> Actually, that word, and it's a tough one to translate, but the first part, of there's two words put together, like Greek does a lot of times. The first word is paideia, which means infant or little children. It's different than technon, the earlier child. When he speaks about you children, my dear children, or Paul, his child, it's, it's a young man or young people or <clears throat> children who are being responsible. This, this word for child is like an infant that needs a babysitter. <clears throat> And, and so the instructor is a person who, a servant in this culture, so people would have servants who would take the children to school, bring them home, make them mind, and watch over them. <clears throat> now, we read about that same thing in Galatians. So when you go to Galatians chapter 3, and it talks about the law of God, the Old Testament, Paul will say there, the law then was our guardian until we came to Christ. In other words, in the Old Testament, the law was the one taking us to Christ. You, you may have heard that before. But the caricature of a person like this, an instructor, this is a child, infant child, little kids that are not mature. <clears throat> the, the second part of that word is helping them along. So it's a little, little child, you're helping them along is the caricature, which they'd have in their artwork, was a person with a stick <laughs> or a rod. <clears throat> now, this, this is what reminds me of, when I was in grade school, of a teacher with a yardstick. You know, any of you see that before where <clears throat> the teacher would walk around and you're misbehaving? Of course, I never misbehaved, but whack, 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 <laughs> whack, 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 <clears throat> and they keep you in line. And that's how people saw these people. They're, they're typically not really educated people. They're probably the lowest level of the servants in the house. They got to take the kids to school, bring them back, make sure they behave. And so the law in Galatians 3 that we talked about was, in a sense, showing us the discipline of our sin, exposing our sin. But once we came to Christ, we no longer needed that stick. The law is helpful in the early stages. And this is really what's happening to the process of maturity. We talked about this as well, that you go, a little child, when they're first born, you don't sit there and reason with them and try to have conversations about why you're doing everything. You just teach them to obey. That's the basic parts. And we, I'd, I'd define that with control. We control them. Uh, and we don't have a lot of conversations. You get into a little later years, and when they're in, in grade school and even going to kindergarten, you're starting to have conversations, and I call that coaching, because you're giving them some responsibility, not complete responsibility and freedom, but you're helping coach them along, and then someday they're going to leave home, and you become a counselor or a friend, and that's part of spiritual development. So what Paul is saying is, you're still infants. You're still like little kids running around. And uh, so do I need to come like, like this instructor with a rod and snap you back into uh, a right walk? Or can I come and appeal to you in love? And what he's, what he's really saying is, what I want to do 
is handle this in love and a spirit of gentleness because they should be past all of that immaturity. But when you get involved in sin, pride, self-centeredness, division, lack of unity, all kinds of sins that we'll read about later, you will never mature as a Christian. Remember this. You can read your Bible every day. You can pray every day. You can go to church every week. You will never mature if you continue to walk in sin. You just can't. It's not going to happen. And so he's appealing to them to hear his loving, kind voice of correction. So it's very different for a father. So he's saying you have 10,000 instructors, in other words, or, or because they probably would rotate many of these. The kids would see all kinds of people taking them to school and bringing them home. He said, you've got many of those people saying things to you, but you have one father. And a father treats a son differently than the teacher because he is personally invested. And I think back to I've had some good teachers before and some not so good, but they were not personally invested in that same way. A father has great love. He, he has great compassion. He has great tenderness. And if he does discipline, it's going to be a discipline with love. And so this is his point. He comes to them as a father. And so should we. As we would entreat someone to help someone, they've been overtaken in a fault, they've sinned, or they've crashed and burned, or they, they've made a mess of things. We don't ignore it. We don't shame them. We treat them like a loving part of our family, and as a father would to his own children. So this is really what the Apostle Paul is coming to them with this in, in this way. And I think that um, his coming is what we, we think about. He's addressing an arrogant spirit. You know, we kind of picked that up all the way through here that at the root of all these sins is pride. It's kind of a pride and self-centeredness. In verse 18, he says, Now some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. So in other words, dad's coming home. I still remember when I was probably four years old, I got in trouble with my mom, and I, I, could, I could get away with a lot more with my mother than I could with my father. And she told me, okay, Matt, you're going to sit on the stool until your dad gets home. And I, and I thought it was days before he came home. That's what it felt like. Probably wasn't that long, but I sat on that stool waiting for my dad to come through the door. And, you know, my dad was a very patient, kind man. He was not a reactor. He was not mean. He wasn't going to didn't worry about my dad beating me or anything like that. But I, I just, I did not want to see his face and explain to him what had happened. And he comes through the door and he goes, hey, Matt, he says, uh, why are you sitting on the stool? And I said, I don't know, Dad, I've been sitting here so long I can't remember. <laughs> Well, we, we had a little bit of a conversation there. My dad had some stern words for me about showing respect and honor to my mother. But this is kind of how they felt. Paul carries weight. These other people didn't have weight. And they he really, he talks about they have no power. What does he mean by that? If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 18, remember it talks about the, the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us it is the power of God. Well, what carries weight? 
What carries power is God's Word, is Christ, is His cross, is staying within the bounds of Scripture. These leaders, these instructors, had gone outside the bounds of Scripture. That's how they were getting divided as this party spirit. Oh, I believe this, I believe this. And it's, it's always several lines removed from what the Bible says. You create all this conflict, they become arrogant, they become proud, and there is no power. I would say this, that no sermon, no message, no teaching will have power apart from the Scripture, apart from the Word, the words of God, the truth of God, and the working of His Spirit. And so this is how Paul's testing the power of a changed life, the power of the working of people coming to Christ, the power of God forgiving sin. And these false teachers had no power. They had no weight. And that's why there's a danger in having teachers that are not rooted in Scripture. I, I see also today in our churches a, a drift toward um, not preparing properly for preaching or teaching God's Word. Now, I don't believe you have to have a college education, a seminar education to do that. However, there needs to be a serious, very serious, sobering, weighty approach to preparing to minister God's Word. And all of us should have that. And they did not have that. And so they did not have true wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. There are no shortcuts to maturity. It takes time. And I think that for, for many people... Um, they skip through that, the, um, those parts. So finally, we come to Paul's challenge. And he's going to challenge them with this statement in verse 16 that, that just stood out to me the first time I read through this again this last week. He says, I urge you to imitate me. The word is actually to mimic. I, I urge you to imitate me. In other words, follow me, watch me, do like I do. Now, that could sound a little bit arrogant, a little bit prideful, don't you think? You say, just, just do like I do. But if you look through the whole of what he said before, he's described himself as a humble servant. And so he's, he's basically saying, you follow me, mimic me as I am mimicking Christ. And he, and he, he will make reference to the Apostle Paul, who is also part of this coming and he is sending Paul ahead to remind them of these things. So Timothy is one of those understudies. He's Paul's understudy. And he has become like him because he's been with him. And that's how his life is being shaped. And so Timothy has enjoyed this relationship with, with Paul. He's going to say the same things. He's going to remind them of things they've already heard but have drifted from. And he has imitated Paul, who has imitated Christ, who has fulfilled the will of the Father. And so this is, you know, we laugh sometimes when you, we see little kids walking behind their parents. They walk just like you, or they act just like you. They talk just like you. Well, that's going to happen. And realize this, that the more we can provide an example of faithfulness, it's not going to be of perfection, but of faithfulness, the better it will be. So two things that Paul provides for them. 
One is the message. The message is the message of how to walk in wisdom. And the wisdom is through the cross of Christ. That's his message. All through this is walk in wisdom, and the wisdom is foolishness to the world. It's different than the world because Christ and his cross are centered. That's his message. And that's the power of the message. And then he also has a model. He has a model, as we said, not of perfection, but of direction. And the model is imitate me as I follow Christ. Now, next Sunday, we're going to dive into asking a number of questions on how do I approach, how will I actually approach this person who's, who's struggling? And, and we all have to do that. We do that collectively. Sometimes you can do that in family, other places. And this morning is more about the heart. You know, um, the spirit of correction is, is one of humility. It is one of brokenness. And yet, we're going to have to walk through this in the coming weeks on how exactly would you say something? How would you approach this? And we look forward to that. So here's our takeaway for this morning. Be in Christ, walking with Christ, and you will be prepared to face the challenges of the hour. Be in Christ. In other words, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by inviting him into your life to be your Savior and your Lord. And walk with him. And as you learn to walk with him and being in his word, being in prayer every day, he will show you the way of helping others and others helping you. God bless you. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be reminded of these things as we face the challenges, the difficulties in life, and as we try to help others with the right spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.